saving the world one telescope at a time. This week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. The Planetary Society has just announced that eight more Gene Shoemaker near-Earth object grants have been awarded to outstanding amateur astronomers around the world. We'll meet the grateful leader of an observatory in the United States. First, though, the Society's chief scientist will tell us about this nearly 25-year-old program. Bruce Betts has directed it for many years. Of course, Bruce will return for another rollicking trip across the night sky, a random space fact, and this week in space history. Woohoo! The Perseverance rover is the new world's record holder for longest drive in a single day. Of course, that world is Mars, where Percy's sister, Curiosity, was the previous record holder for seven Earth years. 245 meters or 806 feet may not sound like much, but it's a full marathon for a red planet robot. You can see tracks left by Perseverance during its victory lap at the top of the February 11 downlink, our free weekly newsletter. Elsewhere in the downlink, you can read about the visible light photo snapped of the Venusian surface by the Parker Solar Probe. It even surprised the spacecraft's team. And it will come up again next week when I talk here with David Grinspoon. A bit farther down the page is an image of Jupiter's swirling quote-unquote surface that I wouldn't mind having framed on my wall. You'll find it at planetary.org downlink. Bruce, it's one of those times when I get to talk to you at both the uh, the top and bottom of the show, because we need you to introduce uh, us to this very successful round of the Shoemaker Neo Grant Program. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here and always excited to talk about that. For the two or three people out there who maybe aren't <laughs> familiar with the program, <laughs> since we, we talk about it pretty regularly, uh, what's this all about? Give us a, give us a quick uh, elevator speech. All right. The Planetary Society's Gene Shoemaker Near-Earth Object Grants Program has been going for about 24 years now, and we give grants mostly to advanced amateur astronomers. And these are these are not just pull the telescope out and put it in your backyard, but it's we have observatories and groups of us, and we're highly technical, and we make real contributions. Well, the contributions we help them with is to fund usually equipment upgrades, cameras, uh, making things remote, re-illuminizing their mirrors, so that uh, they can make a real difference in planetary defense and protecting us from the asteroid threat, particularly in tracking, getting extra observations of asteroids, because when you find an asteroid, you know where it is then, but you don't know where it's going. So you need lots more observations. And in characterizing, figuring out things like spin rate, and is it actually a binary asteroid? Are there two instead of one? We also fund some people uh, because they're actually in a good position to make discoveries. And that is particularly Southern Hemisphere observers, like you'll hear from one during the show, where there are not major professional surveys observing right now, so they can pick up the slack in the southern sky. But tell us about this this round and this, this big group. Thanks to the generosity of members and supporters of the Planetary Society, we're able to select our largest group, uh, both in terms of number of astronomers and in terms of money this time. So there are eight 
grants that have been awarded to uh, seven countries on three continents, about $75,000. We've now awarded over half a million dollars in the history of the program to, so I believe it's up to 21 countries around the world. It's exciting and we, we hear it makes a difference. We're taking people who are already successful and kicking them up a notch to the next next ability round. And right now, a lot of it is getting to see dimmer asteroids because the professional surveys find these very dim asteroids. So these groups need more sensitive cameras and the like to improve sensitivity. That's a great preview of what we're going to be hearing from these uh, representatives of these three observatories because, yeah, they talk about seeing uh, higher magnitudes and uh, also how grateful they are to the Planetary Society. I think all three of them do. Um, how does the choice get made? It's not You don't have a dartboard someplace, right? Well, I do, but it's not related. I don't use it uh, for this purpose. Um, that's more for like, what am I watching on TV tonight? We have a expert committee, the review panel, that reviews all of the proposals and makes recommendations to me and then we try to match it to the funding that we have available. And so that's led by Tim Sparr of Neosciences and formerly the head of the Minor Planet Center, where all this information goes when people observe. And he puts together great groups every time. And you can find all of their names on our website and my article that introduces the program. And we are super grateful. They volunteer their time. and They're all professional asteroid hounds. It's good stuff. And Shoemaker Neo, not overwrite, even though we have another grant program that's now underway, and maybe there'll be some announcements about that one soon. There will. There, in the next very few weeks, we will have the first announce or the announcement of the first ever step grant program, science and technology empowered by the public, and that is much broader and with larger awards. And well, we've got some great stuff there, great proposals. So that'll be coming out soon. We are now done with this round of Shoemaker Neo grants. Well, it really has just started because they're going to actually get the awards and get the new hardware and do great stuff. The Shoemaker Neo awards run on roughly every two-year cadence, so we expect uh, we'll, we'll have another set next calendar year. We'll have an announcement probably at the Planetary Defense Conference in Vienna in spring of 2023. We'll announce a new round. Good introduction. I, I guess now we'll go to the first of those uh, astronomers from uh, uh, one of those eight observatories that was lucky enough to get a Shoemaker Neo grant in this round. And I think we're going to start with Gary Hug, who is uh, basically the, the head guy, the PI, the principal investigator at uh, Farpoint Observatory in Kansas. Thanks, Bruce. I'll talk to you uh, during What's Up at the other end. Thank you. Look forward to it. And a reminder, people can learn about all eight uh, on our website. Gary Hug, congratulations on this uh, Shoemaker Neo grant that you and your colleagues there at Farpoint Observatory, operated by the Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League. Well, really, we're talking again because you were one of our awardees uh, some years ago for your Sandlot Observatory, and you were my guest on the show back then in 2012. Yes, and and in 2019, the Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League also received a grant in order to do a remote operation, and it worked well. And thank you very much, by the way. Oh, of course. You're very welcome. <laughs> uh, we're so proud of all 
eight of uh, these observatories that, that we were able to award funds to uh, in this round of the Shoemaker Neo grants. Let's start with what you're going to be doing with this uh, little bit short of $11,600 to further upgrade what you've got at Farpoint. The interesting thing was uh, last year we were able to contact, we were applied for an application for a grant from the Mount Cuba Astronomical Foundation, and I think they're out of Delaware, and we got a grant to replace the mirror that's now in the Tomball Telescope at Farpoint. It's a 27-inch F3 mirror that we have on order, and it's supposed to be coming in any time, hopefully within the next month or so, and we're going to completely redo the telescope, the length of the telescope to shorten it up considerably. This camera will be very beneficial for a new setup because an F3, you need higher resolution than what our camera is producing right now. That camera will not only have a very wide field of view, it will also have good a rep as resolution as it does even at F5.5. 27-inch F3, which mm-hmm. is a very fast optical system, right? Yes. I mean, that's, that's so impressive. And it's very practical for us. Uh, Right now, we've got a a roll-off roof observatory, okay? And in the plains of Kansas, you don't get calm winds very often all night long. So uh, we thought about this for a long time, and we really wanted to shorten the tube up so it's not sticking up like a kite in the wind. And and hopefully uh, it will be a little more usable, even in the conditions where you've got a 5 or 10-mile-an-hour wind. Past that, not many scopes do very well with an open observatory. It works out really well. All the dimensions work out really well for getting more use out of the telescope because of the change in the optics. So between Mount Cuba Astronomical Foundation and the great folks there at the Planetary Society, uh, we've, we've been able to make this kind of come together and hopefully within the next month we'll have it all done. I don't know. It's good. It may be six weeks. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Did I read correctly that this is replacing a 10-year-old camera? Because cameras have come a long ways in 10 years. Yes, it's a 10-year-old camera, at least that long, that much. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're and it was a good camera, and it does a good job. But, but it, yeah, you're right. The technology changes that have taken place is just amazing in 10 years. And so this will definitely be a big plus for us to get that kind of depth and resolution. These cameras are, are all backlit now. The backlit chips are just very, very sensitive. So hopefully between the camera and our updated uh, optics, we're going to have a a bigger field of view so we can find some of the ones that are a little bit off prediction, some of the neos that are a little bit off prediction. It gives us a better shot at it. Tell me a little bit more about Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League, or thank goodness we can shorten that to NECAL, uh, which is the operator Farpoint Observatory. And, And I know that you have, what, at least three major associates there. It's a small club. We've got about 35 members, but of course, and, and you know, you always have a core group that does uh, about 90% of the work, which which is pretty common, I think, with clubs. That's how it goes. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but anyway, this, this group, uh, Russ Valentine, who is our IT guy, 
uh, has been uh, very productive in, in helping us get through the, the tough stuff with computers. And then I've got uh, David Krober, who is a lead observer. I'm not the lead observer. I'm kind of the PI, but I'm not the lead observer. He's kind of been the one that's been physically there most of the time. Doug Gooding, Dr. Doug Gooding, who's a K-State professor, he's kind of our science advisor, also actively involved in observing. Uh, we've, we've got a good group. Give them all our regards. Tell me uh, also about how you're doing with your own Sandlot Observatory, which is really almost literally, I guess, there in your backyard. You were just telling me about some, some amazing observations you've been able to do, uh, very faint objects. Yeah, I was after after the the mirror had been resurfaced. It's a twenty two inch. Now, I used to be able to get down to twenty one and about twenty one three, twenty one five. That was usually my limit, and I just couldn't seem to get past that. But now with the it's new, pretty optics, not good though. Well, it's not bad. It's a it's a start. <laughs> um, but but now at this point, uh, with the with the optics being redone, it really did make a big difference, a full magnitude difference. So I'm now getting at down to 22.3, 22.4. I think that's that's kind of a standard. I, I think I could probably get to 22.5 on a good night. This is very significant for people who have even a little bit less astronomy knowledge than I do. They may be thinking, well, gee, a difference of one magnitude? What's the big deal? It is a big deal. Yes, right. Well, it's it's a two and a half times factor for every magnitude. So, uh, magnitude twenty one in a magnitude twenty one to magnitude twenty two, you're seeing two and a half times dimmer objects. So that's quite a bit. That really opens up a wide area of of asteroids. And and to be honest, lately the NeoCP page is full of twenty one to twenty two, twenty two and a half. So very important that those faint objects get picked up because they don't have a lot of following. They don't have a lot of input. There's not very many observatories that reach 22 and a half. And these are objects that deserve to be followed, uh, not just out of scientific curiosity, but because some of them are still pretty good sized. I mean, it could ruin some city's whole day if, if uh, they were to meet up. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's very true. Um, yeah, I, I tell people I look for, I look to make sure that rocks don't fall on our head. Um, that's, <laughs> that's really kind of, kind of my goal here. I, I, there's a, there's a lot of things I could be doing with my time and I don't go to the bar. So, um, <laughs> I, and like, uh, Clyde Tomball used to say that all the time. He used to say, well, you know, you can't spend time in the bars and, and be doing this. And it's nice that you actually have a telescope named after the great, uh, the great Clyde Tombaugh. Uh, that's a that's a that's a nice touch. Tell me that story again about the twenty-seven inch uh, mirror. It's not just named in Tombaugh's honor. Yeah, the, the it's got a little history behind it, and part of our our ability to do this stuff for as long as we've done it so far is because the, the University of Kansas decided to loan us a twenty-seven inch mirror that they had in their facility that actually Clyde Tombaugh used that mirror in a telescope and refurbished the telescope as part of his master thesis at KU. Wow. <laughs> so, so it has some, it has some historical historical, and it makes me really nervous when I have to pull that out of the telescope and put in the new one because I don't want to drop it. You know what I'm saying? It's, <laughs> it's important that that mirror was uh, called the pit 
mirror. It was William Pitt, who was an industrialist in Kansas City in the 1930s, that made that mirror in his pool, drained pool, is <laughs> where this was done. <laughs> so, so there is some history behind it. It's made Pyrex, and it was one of the first castings of, of Pyrex used in telescopes. And went on to be used for such other famous mirrors as the 200-inch at the Hale Telescope. Yes, up, right, up right, exactly, exactly. So it's full of history. My thanks to Kansas University for loaning us that for such a long period of time. Absolutely, and what a legacy. Is it a priority not just to do astronomy there, but to share this, this passion that all of you in the club have for astronomy? Is there some public outreach? Certainly. You really can't not do public outreach, and uh, you know, especially with a facility like ours. We have a 50% research and 50% EPO kind of outlook. Education uh, and public outreach, EPO. Uh, yes. We definitely have to have to do a, a lot of public outreach, and, and you know, we try to do our, our share of it. Uh, we, we, we tend to kind of push the research side a little bit, but you got to have both. You really do. Before I let you go, I have to ask, uh, Farpoint, Farpoint Observatory? Yes, it is. <laughs> so live long and prosper would be appropriate? I know that people can't see me, but, you know, I, I have that kind of a Picard look. <laughs> you do. My, well, my so bald head. I have a hat on. But yes, <laughs> yes. What we're talking about here, it was, I guess it was the pilot for uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. And the Enterprise D visits a place called Farpoint Station. And uh, I'd say, you know, middle of the country there in Kansas, that's a pretty good place to put something called Farpoint. Actually, when I say that, I have to, I, I have to, by legal standards, say that we're not associated with Paramount Pictures and so on and so forth. Because, because when we first named it Farpoint, we actually had to do that. We got a letter uh, from the, from Paramount, and we had to contact their lawyers and clear this usage. So, <laughs> and we did. So, you know, we're we're good. I'm sure Captain Picard would have been very upset with Paramount because uh, I, it seems to me that you are simply honoring that uh, that great television. Yeah, sure, uh, of course. Gary, really, all I need to do is wrap up and say uh, congratulations once again. Uh, we look forward to hearing about the even greater results that you guys get there at Farpoint Observatory and at your own Sandlot Observatory. Certainly at uh, at Farpoint, thanks in part to this. Uh, this great new camera. Uh, so uh, clear skies. Well, thank you, Matt. And and the Planetary Society members are the best. That's Gary Hugg of NECAL, the Northeast Kansas Amateur Astronomers League and its Farpoint Observatory. NECAL has been awarded a nearly $11,600 Shoemaker Neo grant. I wish there was time for me to share my conversations with two other grant recipients, Karado Korovich is with the Visnjan Observatory in Croatia. Alan Marie is the M in the MAP survey, based in Chile's Atacama region. You can hear both of them online at planetary.org radio, and everywhere this week's podcast is available. I'll be right back with Bruce Betts and What's Up. I'm Planetary Society Chief Advocate Casey Dreyer. Are you interested in our day of action to advocate for space, but can't commit to a full day of congressional meetings? Or do you live outside the United States? Either way, I have great news for you. You can go to planetary.org slash day of action 
and pledge to take action with us on March 8th. We'll provide you with easy, effective actions you can do on your own time from anywhere in the world. That's planetary.org slash day of action. Thank you. There's so much going on in the world of space science and exploration, and we're here to share it with you. Hi, I'm Sarah, Digital Community Manager for the Planetary Society. Want more space? We've got the latest news, pretty planetary pictures, and Planetary Society publications on our social media channels. You can find the Planetary Society on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I hope you'll like and subscribe so you never miss the next exciting update from the world of planetary science. The guy we started the show with is back with us. He's the chief scientist of the Planetary Society. Welcome, Bruce Betts. I want to mention one thing that I failed to mention earlier, which is who is Gene Shoemaker, the program's named after. And he was a planetary geologist who was one of the critical people in figuring out the importance of impact and impact cratering in the solar system, including on Earth, and also has had a very talented observer, astronomer, wife, and they found objects and he studied objects and did all sorts of great stuff when he passed away in an accident in 1997. That was the impetus for starting the program and naming it after him. Tell us about the night sky. It's all pre-dawn when it comes to planets these days. Uh, So those of you still up, I assume, at five or six, seven in the morning, whatever time happens, then You can check out a bunch of planets in the east Uh, shortly before dawn. We've got Venus looking super bright, Mars to its lower right pretty nearby. You might still be able to catch Mercury. It's going to be much lower to the left along with Saturn. Easy ones are Venus and Mars to its lower right, Mars looking reddish. We do have some great constellations in the evening sky. We've got Orion over there in the south and the east, and Orion points to Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. And hey, if you've got a big view of the sky, you can check out the winter hexagon made up of six really bright stars surrounding Orion. The first one we'll start with is Rigel, the blue star in Orion. Clockwise is Sirius, the brightest star in the sky. Up, Procyon, over, Pollux, down, Aldebaran. It's not a very regular hexagon, but it's it's kind of close. So what's up with Castor? Castor the evil twin, the chopped liver? He is not chopped liver. Uh, he is known as the evil twin, though. Now, Castor, <laughs> Castor hanging out with Pollux is, uh, is worth seeing. Castor is dimmer, which is why it doesn't get included in the winter hexagon, but it is part of the twins. So yeah, go ahead and check out Castor along with Pollux, but do not believe anything he says. <laughs> All right, keep going. This week in space history, 1962, John Glenn became the first American to orbit the Earth. 1986, the first piece of what would become the Mir space station was launched by the Soviet Union. And if we go back a little bit farther, further in history, we get to Pluto being discovered in 1930 this week by Clyde Tombaugh. Another great tie-in to uh, the conversations we just had with Shoemaker Neo Winders, uh, because Gary Hugg, there's a telescope there that's the Tombaugh telescope. It actually uses a mirror that Clyde Tombaugh, what did he say? Did he help to grind the mirror? I forget now. Oh, I should remember. Anyway. Wow. Yeah. Let's move on to the... As of now... The largest asteroids predicted to fly within one lunar distance of Earth. You may ask yourself, what are they? When are they? Well, we've got 
2001 WN5, which we've discussed before, which is almost a kilometer in diameter, comes 0.6 lunar diameters away in June of 2028. The next year, Apophis comes back and uh, flies by a 300-meter asteroid within one-tenth of a lunar distance within the orbit of geostationary satellites. Then if you're skipping ahead and thinking about, hey, what's going to happen in 2140? You will get 2000 WO107 is going to fly by, and it's... Uh, it's about 500 meters. Nothing to get upset about. And that's what we know now. We're looking and tracking and figuring, making sure there's nothing else. Whew. Trivia, 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 trivia contest. I asked you, what working spacecraft are at or nearby in a halo orbit? The Earth-Sun-Lagrange point two L2 off uh, about a million and a half kilometers on the opposite side of the Earth from the Sun, a gravitationally kind of stable point. I'm just going to take us directly to the winner this time. He is a first-time winner in California. Drum roll, please. I actually have one here somewhere. Matt Boyles. Matt Boyles, who has been listening to us for a long time, but uh, he is a first-time winner with this. He says there are three spacecraft currently active at L2, Gaia, Spectre RG, and, of course, the new arrival, the new kid in the neighborhood, the James Webb Space Telescope, or JWST. Is that correct? That is indeed correct. Congratulations, Matt Boyles. We are going to send you, or we will have the studio, I guess, send you that package of swag from the movie Moonfall. It's a huge hit. No, it's actually not. But pick up the Blu-ray when it comes out because there's a brilliant, brilliant uh, special feature involving brilliant, brilliant scientists. Which is probably, from what I've heard, the only actual science that may be connected to that entire film. Yeah, that could be true. <laughs> the movie is not doing that great at the box office, but I still want to see it because I'll bet it's still a little bit of fun. We're going to send you, Matt, that package of all kinds of stuff and some tickets. But the way things are going, they'll have to get them to you quickly and you'll have to <laughs> run down to the local theater because I'm not sure it's going to be there that much longer. Sorry, but box office was kind of a bust. Hey, maybe we'll throw in a rubber uh, a rubber asteroid just to, just to be cool about this. What do you think? <laughs> I think we always uh, should do that whenever possible. Uh, throwing rubber asteroids is a favorite pastime. <laughs> for me too. What do you got for next time? All right, we're going to finish off the uh, Neo episode, the Near-Earth Asteroid episode with the Near-Earth Asteroid question. In 2021, what were the top three asteroid surveys in terms of near-Earth asteroid discoveries? Top three professional asteroid surveys in terms of finding first finding near-Earth asteroids. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. You have until the 23rd, February 23rd at 8 a.m. Pacific time, this time around. And somebody is going to win. And I've been waiting for this for a long time. See this book? Isn't that cute? I do. I see that. Good night, Moonbase. And it's really sweet. It's very clever. It, of course, is based on that great genre. It's become a genre, the Good Night Moon books. And there are, you know, a whole raft of books that uh, pay tribute to that. Well, Goodnight Moonbase has been uh, written by Brett Hofstadt. It's illustrated by Steve Tanaka. And uh, I have a signed hard copy in my hands. And uh, this is 
the copy that will be going to uh, whoever makes it past random.org this week uh, with the correct answer. It's uh, published by Aero Maestro. Brett and Steve have been working on this a long time. It is now available in all the usual places, I believe. That's it. We're done. All right, everybody. Go out there, look in the night sky, and think about what you'd think about while ski jumping. Thank you, and good night. Huh. I think I'd be thinking, No! (laughs) He's Bruce Betts, the chief scientist of the Planetary Society, who joins us every week here for What's Up. It'll be okay, Matt. It'll be a... Oh... Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its generous members. Mark Hilverda and Jason Davis are our associate producers. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which is arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. Add Asteroid.